the prophet is called Zephaniah and God speaks to Zephaniah and says, I'm going to cut off man from the earth. That's a pretty serious charge. Very, very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, and we're going to open up the Bible and discover what in the world are we talking about. So we'll do that in about two minutes' time. Corey's coming up with Ryan. Corey? Well, today, Mom and I are actually going to be mixing our segments together, and we're going to be discussing attitudes and actions that we should never be a part of as Christians. Ryan? Well, today, Zephaniah pronounces divine judgment against Judah for her idolatrous behavior, and my segment details some of the specific debaucheries that were going on. All right, very good. And it's very, very interesting. So as uh, we get ready to go into this, we're going to read in about uh, two minutes or actually in about 30 seconds. They're coming up in about 20 minutes. So stay there because things are going to be interesting. Zephaniah 1, 1 through 9. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place, the names of the idolatrists' priests with the pagan priests, those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops, those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of Him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited His guests. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. In the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Zephaniah chapter 1 verses 1 through 9. Prophets' names are really unusual and funny, aren't they? Zephaniah, that's what we study today. As one of the minor prophets, Zephaniah is a powerful minister in a time of great revival. Although the last great king of Judah, King Josiah, reformed his kingdom, the hearts of many people had not reformed. The book of Zephaniah confronts the fact that God will judge the sin inside our hearts but also gives the hope of restoration to those who would repent and turn to God and live in his righteousness. Zephaniah was born and lived during the reign of Manasseh, 
and Josiah, that nasty king, I'll tell you. Zephaniah's name actually means Yahweh has hidden. And they actually prophetically refer to God hiding him during the reign of Manasseh. Interestingly, King Josiah was not an evil man like his father Ammon or his grandfather Manasseh, or Manasseh as I like to call him. Josiah was a great king, fully dedicated to serving the Lord. And he's one of my personal favorites. I love Josiah. As a contemporary of Jeremiah, the ministry of Zephaniah would have started before Josiah's reforms, since he refers to King Josiah's reign and also prophesies of Nineveh's fall and the idolatrous practices of Judah. Now, this is a fascinating book. It's a short book, but it really is something. Now, I want to encourage you to turn toward to, to this book. Uh, it's in the Minor Prophets. And take your Bible guide and go to the Bible guide so we can understand what it says today. If you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us and we'll be able to send you one. Or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com and click on the Bible guide. And when you get there, it'll look just like it's been printed. And so you can have a printed copy like us. It also takes you to a donate page. So thank you for your donations. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you is great for us. Zephaniah is interesting. And Father, I want to pray today as we read this prophet's writings. You spoke to him. And Father, you spoke to him and you put it in print of your word so that we can read it. So in a sense, Lord, you spoke to all of us through him. So help us to hear you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, open up that pathway. And we all said together, amen and amen. Now, Zephaniah chapter one is interesting. Let's read the first verse. The word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land. Did you hear what he said? I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. Now, keep this in mind. God says that he will cut off the life of man from the face of the earth. Now, God spoke to us that. We are dependent upon God's provision, whether we believe him or not. Let me explain this to you. Paul Davies is a great scientist, uh, and he's somebody that I've talked about before. But he says that there are principles in place that science counts on that it seems a godlike creature has put in place to stay the same. Let me tell you something. Paul Davies is absolutely correct because it is the God of the Bible that has put the foundations of the earth in place so that we understand our existence, breathing air and living is dependent upon God. And he does that so that we can have a choice. Will we follow the Lord or will we not? How we live, what we do, answers that question. How we respond to God tells us the truth about what we think of him. 
I mean to say that God is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, as far as I'm concerned. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and rose again for our sin. And we got to confess our sin to him and come into his living. I tell you, that's the way I think. Nevertheless, let's go back to Zephaniah chapter one, verse four. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, God's city. And I will cut off every trace of Baal from the place. Baal? Baal is in Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. And the names of the idolatrous priest with the pagan Are you serious? Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops? Those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom? Are you serious? That's a cultish name. Those who have turned their back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. Oh my goodness. You see, God knows who we worship. We can say whatever we want to say, but the truth is God knows who we worship. We must worship only God. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me tell you something. God knows who we worship. On Sunday, people go to church, but who do they worship? This was in Jerusalem. And he said, these people are not worshiping me. They're violating the covenant. Beloved, when we go to church, when we go to the house of God, we do not need to violate God's covenant. We need to be faithful to what he said and what he did. That's very important. We need to keep that in mind because God knows who we worship. So let's keep that in our hearts. Zephaniah chapter one, verse seven says this, be silent in the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guest. And it shall be that in the day of the Lord's sacrifice, that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel, strange apparel. In the same day, I will punish all of those who leap over thresholds. That's a way they used to worship cult gods is leap over the threshold. Who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. In one day, God will judge everyone for their sin. I want to tell you something. I I want my sin to be taken care of by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has paid the cost of sin. But we must repent of our sin and live to follow him. You're probably getting tired of me doing this. I'm going to do it again. If you want to come to Jesus Christ and deal with your sin, if you're tired of being messing up and being wrong and having to lie about it and make excuses about it, come to Jesus Christ. You can't lie to him anyway, because he's the Lord. He knows everything. And you pray and you say, Lord Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, forgive me of my sin. I'm hard. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm hurt. Help me, Lord. I give my life to you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I give my life to you today. Help me, Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we said together, Amen, which means make it so.
We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. Okay, so my segment today documents some of the despicable practices and cultic rituals that the southern kingdom of Judah had adopted from the pagan nations around them. And I know Zephaniah has already recorded these in his book, but in order to fully understand the extent of some of these debaucheries, we need to do a little bit of further study. For example, the prophet mentions the worship of Milcom, but doesn't tell us exactly what horrific acts that worship that worship entailed. He also says that some of the leaders of Judah were arraying themselves in foreign attire. And he also mentions that some were even leaping over thresholds. Now, while Zephaniah definitely gives us a clear picture of the evil that was going on in Judah, understanding some of the more details makes Zephaniah's account even clearer. So let's do some digging. Through the writings of King Hezekiah's great-great-grandson, Zephaniah, the Lord pronounced judgment against the house of David, declaring, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord, or inquire of him. I will also punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire, and everyone who leaps over the threshold, and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. The southern Israelite kingdom of Judah had unfortunately gone the way of her sister in the north by worshiping other gods and adopting the despicable practices and cultic rituals that came along with that. For example, Zephaniah 1.5 specifically mentions worship of the god Milcom. Also known as Molech, this was the main deity of the Ammonites and was linked to child sacrifice. Zephaniah also mentioned that there were leaders in Judah who had arrayed themselves in foreign attire. Assyrian priests often wore high-flared headdresses, so the prophet is likely condemning those who imitated and welcomed the Assyrians in Judah. Zephaniah also records an unusual practice in which some people would leap over the threshold of a building. In the ancient Near East, it was often believed that evil spirits could enter temples and homes through windows and doors, especially if someone was to step on the threshold. This could be why the Assyrians often buried sacred objects below their thresholds. And this may all connect back to the episode recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 5, in which the statue of the god Dagon fell face down on the ground before the Ark of the Covenant. As a result of that fall, the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold of the temple. And as the Bible explains, this is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. It seems the people of Judah thought it was okay to share their worship of God with other foreign deities, but God had explicitly warned them in the Ten Commandments that you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath 
ore that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So Zephaniah records that Judah was worshiping Milcom, also known as Molech, which we learned in this segment involved sacrificing their children. We also learned that the leaders were dressing themselves in foreign clothing, probably in imitation of the Assyrian priests who were known to wear high-flared headdresses. We also discovered that the superstitious act of leaping over the threshold was a common practice in the ancient Near East due to the belief that stepping on thresholds would somehow allow evil spirits to enter temples and homes through windows and doors. Sadly, Judah didn't change her evil ways even after witnessing the divine destruction of northern Israel. On the contrary, they were more than happy to engage in all such debaucheries and more. And so it's no wonder why God eventually brought it all to an end. It's, you know, it's inter interesting to remember that when um, the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant and they put the Ark of the Covenant in the place where Dagon was, Dagon fell over and we mm -hmm. remember that story that uh, they, they didn't step on the threshold going into the temple. Mm -hmm. And that the Bible says that, and you're like, well, what, what's the problem? We understand why because of that research you've done. So Yeah, yeah it's, it's very, very interesting, isn't it? It really, really is. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Ryan. Mm. Corey? All right. Well, Mom, you and I were talking before the program about different attitudes and different actions that are really concerning that we see coming out in... Zephaniah. Yes. And I wanted to point out to everyone, there's a familiar theme as we're going through Zephaniah. In chapter two, where Zephaniah is indicting these different nations, I'll just read, when he's talking about Moab and Ammon, he said, in verse 10 says of chapter two, this is what they will get in return for their pride, for their insults and mockery. All right. So this idea that that is, a, is, is something that evil is fostering in them pride, insults, and mockery. And then when we jump down to verse 15, when God is talking to Assyria, it says this, this is the city of revelry that lived in safety. She said to herself, I am the one and there is none beside me. So again, this great pride that's fostered by the security that Assyria has found themselves in. And then when we hop over to Zephaniah chapter three, we see a very similar thing happening to Jerusalem. And why I'm bringing this all up is because as I'm reading this, you know, the human condition has remained the same. Our, our human natural tendencies has remained the same throughout time, wherever we find written records of men and women and written and, and, um, artifacts from their lives in the ground, we see remnants of warfare and envy and pride and jealousy. Mm -hmm. All of these things, you know, the human nature has not changed. Our circumstances have changed and our, our names have changed and our languages have changed, but we are essentially the same. So this is really concerning to me because I can see reflections of myself and of our culture in Zephaniah 3. And, and so God is talking to Jerusalem at this point, and he says, Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. Now listen to this description. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. This I am my own authority. And what strikes me about that is that's what our culture in the West, at least, wants us to do. 
You are the captain of your own destiny. You decide your truth is what's important. Not everybody else's. You decide. She obeys no one and she accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. See, trusting in God, drawing near to God requires that we obey God and that we accept his correction. You know, this is what freedom actually looks like. We all of us have a deep spiritual longing. All of us do because we were made to be in a, in a relationship with the creator of the universe, with God. You know, and, 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 and it seems like an oxymoron that if we obey someone, if we're subservient to God, then, then we are actually free. Seems like an oxymoron until you realize that when you are your own God, you are a slave to sin. Exactly. We get, we, you, you, you start off in a pattern of sin. What happens? Pretty soon you've lost control. You can't stop doing that sin anymore. It gets to a point where it's snowballed. Right, so we see she obeys no one. She accepts no cor- correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She dres- does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her rulers are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. They're greedy, they're gluttonous. <sighs> also sounds pretty familiar, mm-hmm. doesn't, doesn't it? it? Her prophets are unprincipled. They're treacherous people. So they're not what they seem. They're treacherous. They lie for their own gain. They're supposed to be telling you the truth about what God is saying, but really they're telling you their truths, right? Her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. So they're not treating God with holiness. They're profaning the sanctuary, not keeping it holy. And they do violence to the law. They're not upholding God's word. They're upholding their own And that's where, you know, what we see with Ryan's segment, talking about this mixing of Milcom. These were God's people and they let these things seep in, right? And it sounds pretty dismal, does it it not? I mean, it sounds pretty dismal when you're hearing this, that it's mixing everything. And it sounds so very much like the world that we're living in right now, where your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. Or even a Christian who is saying, well, you know, I I do believe this part of the Bible, but I don't believe that part of the Bible. And our culture has changed. So, you know, especially when it comes to my lifestyle, right? right? Like morality has grown. It's been a progressive revelation. So I'm going to live the way I want to live while still loving God and having a relationship with him, and God but will not love accepting me. his that's correction. Right. And God will still love me right. in that. No, that's no. that's a mistake. And, and while it sounds dismal, God is a merciful God. Mm-hmm. And when we come to him in repentance, when we come to him understanding who we are and who he is, he is a holy God. We see here in uh, verse six, which would have been after that section that Ryan highlighted mm-hmm. with Milcom, with the mixing of those who worship and swear oaths to the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom. So yeah. we're mixing ideas, we're mixing our cultures, we're mixing things and and don't think that as, as we're saying, this sounds so much like us today. So let's not think that we're so high and mighty yep. over, over who we're reading. Oh, how could they do that? How is that possible? Because we're doing that too. It's going to look a little bit different in our culture because right. times have changed, but the attitudes behind and it and the intentions. Yes. And that's what we really want people to hear today, mm. the intentions. So that with that, let's look at verse six. Mm-hmm. Those who have turned back from him following the Lord and have not sought the Lord 
nor inquired of him. Mm -hmm. So how do we pull ourselves out of this attitude and get back to the Lord? Because there's always a faithful remnant and God is always merciful when we come back to him is that those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. So the answer, could it be as simple as turning back to the Lord Mm -hmm. and seeking God and inquiring of him? We don't have all the answers, but God does. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Do we believe that fully or do we not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I mean, when you read, it, it strikes me that, that the answer was the same back then mm-hmm. as it is now. And again, times have changed. Christ has revealed himself as the Messiah, right? So the, so it's, the application is a little bit different, but the idea is the same, right? When we read in chapter two, verse three, what was God's command to these nations? Mm-hmm. Two, verse three, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. So humble yourself, stop being prideful and arrogant and seek God, seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. And, and now, what do we do when we, when we see these attitudes in ourselves? Because I gotta be honest, I certainly do sometimes mm. see these attitudes crop up in myself, or I'll respond to a, a, a teaching that is certainly biblical in, in a very negative way. And at, at that moment, I pump the brakes and go, whoa, okay, okay, I'm struggling with this, I'm wrestling, that's okay, let's go to God, let's talk to him about exactly. it, and let's, let's work it out. Let's seek God on this and be willing to trust him mm-hmm. with our difficulties and trust him that if we, being able to accept his correction, whatever that might look like, yes. and, and continue on. And he is able to help us yeah. when we make ourselves available, when our hearts are softened, when we're not that prideful, stiff neck, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, but we actually let the Lord work in our lives. He's faithful to help us through that. He is. He is. I mean, we see that all throughout the scriptures. We see it in history. And I certainly can testify that I've seen that in my own life as well. Today we pray, and it's important for me as I think about this, let's pray together and and say it this way. Lord, I, I want to praise your name for what you have done to eliminate my sin. I come to you and I've confessed to Jesus Christ, but I just, this is amazing. Praise your name, Father. Praise your name, Jesus Christ. You have done the work and eliminated my sin. In Jesus' name, amen.